Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercane.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll complete our reading of Book 4.5 of The Dark Tower, The Wind Through the Keyhole, The Skin Man Part 2 section, and Storms Over. Let's start the show! After finishing the telling of The Wind Through the Keyhole to young Bill, Roland wraps up the story with a few final details. Soon enough, the salt miners are brought back to town by the sheriff and Jamie, and young Bill is able to identify the skin man. After killing two men while transformed into a snake, the skin man is killed by Roland. Roland and Jamie return to Serenity, where Roland learns more about his mother. Back at the present time, the quartet reflects on the story they've been told. The next morning, the storm is passed. Suzanne and Roland share a moment, and the quartet prepares to continue their quest for the Dark Tower. Very nice summary, Sean. Well, thank you, Jay. So, as I mentioned, there's a little bit of wrapping up right at the beginning of this section about the wind in the keyhole story because young Bill starts peppering Roland with some questions like, hey, how did the tiger eat? And hey, what happened to Tim after he grew up and got old? And, you know, at first Roland's like, oh, well, you know, Tim became a gunslinger, even though he wasn't from the House of Eld, and he went on to become Tim Stouthart. And right. Roland's not able to answer the uh, the tiger question. Uh, it was magic. That's, that's yeah. it. Those are just details. Yeah. Poochie went back to his home planet. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and Roland realizes he might not be as good of a storyteller as he thought. But the one thing I did realize is that one thing he mentions is that Gabrielle read this story out of an actual book. So whereas Roland's telling it as an oral story, and I think we talked a little bit about how, you know, oral stories, things can change, and maybe Roland's adding details that will be relevant to the people he's telling the story to. When right. he heard There's this... always an embellishment that reflects the teller. Exactly. Um, but when Gabrielle read the story, she read it out of a book. But in the fact that Tim becomes a gunslinger, it really boosted your theory from last episode about this is really a historical reading of this story, that this isn't just a fairy tale. This is something that happened. Because he's able yeah. to point to Tim Stouthart and say, hey, here's a boy who grew up. He became a gunslinger after the events of the story, and he's well-known across the land. Yeah, and maybe it's not all real, or it's historical fiction, if you will, where there was a gunslinger named Tim Stouthart, and he was so legendary that people made up his, his backstory or embellished it to the point where even when he was a kid, he got into all these amazing adventures, as opposed to just yeah, he had kind of a normal life, and then he later became a gunslinger because he was really good at all the things that make a gunslinger great. It's not as interesting as dragons and mud people and fairies and wizards that are transformed into tigers and North Central Positronics, Hitchhiker's Guides to the Galaxy. <laughs> Those things are way cooler than, you know, Tim grew up and became a gunslinger. Yeah. But really, the point of this story for young Bill is to get him to realize that he should have some courage because we get to the point now where, hey, these miners are going to start being marched by you and I need you to be strong and identify the guy who is the skin man so that we can rid the town of this horrible thing. And we come to the end of what we had said was a murder mystery 
because we find out who, in fact, the skin man is and, and it all gets resolved. But was it really a murder mystery, Jay? Uh, no, I mean, I think we sort of have to reclassify it as a sort of a detective procedural. And I suppose you could still loosely call it a murder mystery because there were murders and we didn't know who the perpetrator of the crime was. But I think if we were going to align this with a genre that we're familiar with, I think it would be more akin to, say, a Law and Order episode or a CSI episode than a story from Arthur Conan Doyle, where we are, you know, following the this this mystery till we get to the end, and Sherlock Holmes reveals all the clues and explains who done it. Instead, we watched Roland act as a gunslinger along with Jamie following a very precise set of procedures. They, they used techniques that made sense to get to the bottom of what's going on and ultimately who the killer is, who is the skin man, and who's been killing all these people. And those techniques proved to be very effective in a very practical, like non-magical, non-mysterious way. So that's why it felt like an episode of CSI. It's kind of like CSI Debaria. <laughs> yeah, so we get, you know, just to follow the procedure, he comes to town, he sets himself up as the authority, they go to the crime scene, they investigate the crime scene, they find a witness, they interrogate the witness to find out the details, they round up the suspects, they put them in front of everyone, and ultimately they solve the case by putting it all together. But it isn't a, oh, Hercule Poirot, let me put all the tales together and give you my grand theory about how this all worked because I put this right. and this and I knew that and that. And instead we get, no, 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 Hastings. Let me tell you what my little gray cells have to say. <laughs> no, and I mean, this makes more sense for Roland, right? When we think of Hercule Poirot, a lot of that, or any detective, a lot of a detective's job is having a expansive imagination and being able to make these leaps and putting everything together. And that's not mm -hmm. Roland as we know him. Roland is very much a methodical Terminator type of always moving forward, always getting the things together. And that's how he works this case as it were. Another way that this differs a bit from the Agatha Christie style or the Doyle style is that we're not given clues along the way to let us, the reader, solve this at the same time or even perhaps before our protagonist. The reason why this feels more like a procedural is because we're just following the techniques being employed in getting to the bottom of it, as opposed to just, you know, when Roland's looking left, we see something to the right that solves the problem or solves the mystery. But Roland didn't know about it because he's distracted by some other thing. I think that's why this doesn't feel like the, the more traditional or classic murder mystery and more of a procedural. Yeah, so a couple episodes ago when we were trying to guess who the murderer might be, we were totally off base because he hadn't even been introduced until this section and really not until like yeah. five five pages before he's uncovered and, and immediately killed by Roland as he takes the silver bullet that he had made for him when he came into town and Jamie retrieves it for him and he's got it ready and yeah, they lost a couple yep. of guys. They lost a couple of guys along the way, but at the end of the day, Roland's able to holster his gun and put his sunglasses on or take them off and say his catchphrase and really solve the CSI Debaria. Yeah, I could just picture Roland, you know, taking a look at the aftermath of killing the, the giant snake and watching it transform back into the, the miner and just 
whipping off his sunglasses and saying, Looks like the early bird got the worm. <laughs> I was thinking more of a like, I guess he just shedded that skin, man. Or reflecting on the old man that just died in the struggle, looks like the old man bought the mine. (laughs) I guess that skin man wasn't bulletproof. (laughs) Or I guess you could say that silver bullet turned out to be a silver bullet for the skin man problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. Or maybe he grabbed one of the local prostitutes from the nearby bar and said, turns out his long stick wasn't long enough. Oh, man. <laughs> or turns out that miner was more of a snake oil salesman. He takes a look down at the wrist of the dead miner with the watch that he found deep in the mines. I guess his watch said, time's up. Or, turns out that miner was a real snake in the grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, I'd say that crapshoot just came up snake eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just like Ka's a wheel, it seems like that snake has reached the end of its tail. Yeah. Now, is that... T-A-I-L or T-A-L-E? We may never know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Send in your own favorite CSI Debaria puns on Twitter to at Two Guys Dark Tower. Yeah. Turns out these are a lot of fun to to write, even if they're not funny. But I think think that makes them better. When they're (laughs) terrible, they're awesome. Yeah. I think you're right. So send them in. We want to... We would love to hear your terrible... CSI Debaria puns. Uh, So King really wraps up this section fairly quickly. I mean, there is a decent amount of buildup. And Mm -hmm. once Roland finishes the story to young Bill, we sort of race to the end. We get the the denouement, the uncovering of the the skin man. He gets killed. They're feted as heroes by the town and and, and the remaining people who are alive. And they end up in Serenity. Um, and really, their purpose to go to Serenity is to let them know that the Skin Man's been defeated, and also to look for a home for young Bill, um, since his whole family's been killed. Will, will they take them in? And of course, Everlyn says she will, and more importantly, that she has the promised story that she has for Roland about Roland's mother. And really, this is the most important part of the book, and one of the most emotional parts of the series thus far, in my opinion. Um, yeah, because we get this important letter that Gabrielle has written in despair and with her mental capabilities starting to break down and it's an apology letter to her son who she knows is going to kill her. Yeah. It's an apology for knowing that she's going to put him in that position and it's also simultaneously forgiveness for what she knows is going to happen. And that's like, I don't know, it seems like almost soul crushing. I, I, I can't imagine being in Roland's position 
to read this, especially almost immediately after the fact. I mean, how much time has passed from when Roland killed Gabrielle till he reads this letter? Like, not much time. No more than a few weeks, a couple months at best. Um, yeah. You know, it seems as if Gabrielle was in serenity while Roland was in Magus. Um, just from the, the 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 time of events here, and she was at Serenity. Roland was at Magus, and they end up back in Magus at approximately the same time, and that's when he kills her. And it's shortly after that that Stephen Deshane calls Roland in and says, "I need to send you on this mission mm-hmm. to go out and and take care of the Skin Man." And one of the reasons he sends him on this mission is to clear his mind and get his mind off the fact that he's killed his mother. But, you know, the town is still in mourning for Gabrielle. So yeah, this is only within weeks, probably, of him actually pulling the trigger on his mother. So, and in a sense, he he gets an explanation for what happened in a more concrete way than the much later, I guess, reveal that he gets when he, when Eddie and Susanna and Jake go into the wizard's glass and they witness this in their kind of pink globe virtual reality tour of Roland's matricide. Yes. Where they were able to see with their own eyes that Roland was tricked, that it wasn't his fault. But Roland seemed to still act and still blame himself. Right. As though as though he not not that it was unavoidable, but that he's still the one who pulled the trigger. So it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't matter if it was a trick. He killed his mother. Yeah. And he doesn't forgive himself for that. And Eddie says something along those lines. It's like it's almost, well, at least we know he didn't really kill her. And, and Susanna says to him, like, no, he really thinks he did. Like, that's, that's why he's going through the problems he's going through. Um, it's as if it, it was real. And, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to analyze that scene and determine, you know, could he have known better? Was it an accident? What was, what was Gabrielle's motives there? Like, why was she hiding behind the curtain? And what, you know, yeah. what, and it turns out that she knew what was going to happen before it happened. That, right. that, this was really just a role that she was playing and that it was going to end up with her death at her son's hand and there was not much she could do about it. And so when we said, oh, maybe the belt was really not a gift and she was really going to murder him, which is something that I thought, um, it turns out, no, that she really was presenting the belt as a gift to Roland and that perhaps she hid herself just to ensure that when she did die, Roland might feel a little less guilty because if he had walked in directly on her and just saw her sitting at the bed and had to kill her, that might be more horrible. So the fact that it was instinct or that he was tricked might lessen the emotions, even though obviously when yeah. she gets, even when he gets her letter, she knows it's not going to, that he is going to be affected by it. Mm-hmm. I think the most important line of the letter and the whole letter overall is wonderful writing. It's, you know, King makes use of font and white space and layout to give us a sense of the the struggles that Gabrielle is having with her madness, with her ability to even concentrate long enough to write a whole sentence. So a lot of that is there, but I think the single most important line in this is, this is what Ka demands. And Ka's been an important thing for Roland and the people in Roland's world since book one. And really in book two, that's when Ka really starts kicking things up a notch uh, for for Roland, and we really start to grasp what it really means and how how much of an influence it can have on a person's life. So when we see Gabrielle use that 
as the rationale for her her decision. Basically, she's left with an impossible choice. Either stay in serenity and go mad and only put off the suffering of her son and her husband in the downfall of Gilead for only a short time or face this tragedy head on and be murdered by her own son and know what a detrimental, destructive effect that's going to have on him and her husband and everybody else who knows them. But ultimately, she is convinced by Ka. She hears a voice. And of course, this is a woman who is losing her connection with reality. So we don't know exactly what that voice is about. It could be Martin whispering in her ear through magic. It could be the, the wizard's glass or something. We don't know exactly, but she hears a voice and it tells her this is what Ka demands. And so she decides that the better choice is to face this tragedy head on and walk right into her son's bullet, yeah. essentially. And and it makes sense. I mean, her other choice to stay there is the one that is encouraged by Martin. Mm-hmm. Mar- Martin tells her, if you go back, death will find you early. Your death will destroy the only one in the world for whom you care. Would you die at your brat's hand and see every goodness, every kindness, every loving thought poured out of him like water from a dipper for Gilead that cared for you little and will die anyway? And it makes sense that if Martin, who is a trickster, who has seduced her, who has caused all these problems in Gilead, wants her to do something, which is stay in serenity. Mm-hmm. then maybe she should do the opposite thing, even if it is going to lead to her death. Because if a trickster wants you to do something, you should probably do the opposite, because there's a reason for that. And she realizes that the voice that he's talking through is a double voice, is a devil's voice. It's on one side of her shoulder. And that other voice, the one that you pointed out, this is what Cod demands, that's the forceful voice. That's the one mm-hmm. that makes sense, and that's the one she's going to listen to. But isn't this... Like another instance of like which chalice has the iocane powder, you know, like, <laughs> well, of course, Martin knows that she knows that that he's a trickster. So I'm going to do the opposite of the opposite of what he told me to do. And that's going to be what he told me to do. And, you know, so around and around you go. And maybe that's what's driving her mad because of her. I mean, this is the tail end of her affair. You know, her affair has ended with Martin. It's destroyed her relationship with her husband it's almost gotten her son killed once and she has fled from gilead in shame i don't know that that many people understand what her rationale is but she's fled and she's gone to serenity and that seemed like a good idea at the time i suppose but she needs to be back so that ka can be fulfilled and just like what we saw when The wizard's glass gave Roland his initial vision of the tower. And that's the moment that Roland was activated, if you will. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he became Ka's slave to the tower at that moment. And he knew that nothing would stand in his way. He would give up everything, sacrifice everything to continue his pursuit of the tower. And that happened before he killed his mother. But we also learned that the the wizard's glass is evil, and the way that it gives you information always comes at a great price. So, at the same time that that was happening, it's like the same time he was losing Susan. Mm-hmm. And so, it's kind of like Ka demands that Roland 
pursue the tower. Cod demands that Roland be hardened by his life and his life choices so that he's the person he needs to be when he reaches the tower. And part of that is he needs to be a person who has killed his own mother. As much as that sucks, and as much as it sucks for everybody around Roland, that's one of the things that needs to happen to Roland to shape him into the person that he'll become. And so even if there were another world where there was a Roland that wasn't responsible for his mother's death, I don't think that Roland would end up surviving as long as this Roland. I don't think that Roland would make it even halfway on his journey to the tower. So there's something about that. There's something about that suffering. There's something about that hardening of resolve and character that comes with killing your own mother. It turns Roland into the person that he kind of needs to be to persevere. But to take it one step further, Martin says that by having Roland kill his mother, he'll lose every goodness, every kindness, every loving thought. And we don't see that with Roland, that he oh. is, he, he's able to keep some of that. He's not totally hardened and just a automaton chasing after the tower. I mean, we can see with his feelings towards to Susanna and Eddie and Jake that there's mm-hmm. more to him than that. And part of that, I think, is due to this letter. Yeah. Is that he reads the letter and he realizes that, yes, I killed my mother, but she's forgiven me. And there's a grace in that. And there's a a forgiveness in that. And it's not going to keep, it's not going to change the fact that that happened. And I am a different person. But at the same time, I'm not going to lose everything that I was, how I was raised and what I was taught to believe. And in fact, if we think about it, Ka might have demanded that as well. That yeah. he comes back. I mean, it is a leap of faith for Gabrielle to think that someday my son is going to get this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is entirely due to the fact that Stephen sends Roland on this mission. Um, it it makes us question when Hugh Peavy, the sheriff, says, really, you're here? I thought your father was going to come here. But yeah. Cobb meant it for Roland to be the one who comes here. And Ka meant it for Roland to be able to defeat the skin man so that he could survive to come back to Serenity so that Everlyn could give him this letter that she's been keeping protected for him. And he holds on to that letter as a precious totem. Um, he says he reads, he read it all the time and he would run his fingers over it until it finally, uh, the paper fell apart and then the wind sort of let it, you know, fly away. But like he kept this letter for a long, long time. And so yep. part of that is Kaz come full circle. Yes, he had to kill his mother, but I do think that this letter is a big piece for him becoming the man he is today. Absolutely. And I questioned as I was reading the the letter that Gabrielle hears a voice and the voice, one of the things the voice tells her is that this is what Ka demands. And I wondered whose voice is it? Because there are other times when we are dealing with things as great as Ka and as powerful as the tower. For example, again, when Roland was himself in the wizard's glass at the end of the, his time in Magus. And he says that he hears the voice of the turtle, mm. that it's the turtle basically saying, you must go, you must seek out the tower. And it's almost like the turtle is the voice of Ka or something like that. So I, there's no indication about that here. This, the letter, due to its nature, is it's not going to give us that information. It's not going to give Roland that information. And he's the one telling the story. He doesn't know what his mother actually heard when she right. heard this voice. But because this voice was so powerful 
and able to convince her that the necessary thing is the most painful thing and actually got her to do the most painful thing. I kind of feel like there's a harshness, but still a, a bigger picture benevolence to hmm. this voice. It wasn't trying to make Gabrielle and Roland suffer, but it was acknowledging the fact that this is this is what Ka demands. I mean, it, there's just no other way. Right. And I think only the tower or only the turtle or only Ka itself, if it has a voice, if it has a consciousness, only something that big in scale could have been that voice and make sense. Because otherwise, then we're left wondering, you know, was it Martin tricking her? Right. And I think that that's, that's too base. I don't want that to be what convinced her to do what she did and all the repercussions that followed. So in my imagination, my, uh, my fan fiction there, that's the voice <laughs> of, of the turtle or the tower telling her, Cod demands this, you have to do it. It's ultimately a very touching end to this story. Yeah. And, and it's sort of funny because it's four pages at the end of the Skin Man Part 2 section, basically, when they return to the town, to Serenity. And they speak with Everlyn briefly, and Everlyn says, here, come to my room and, and read this letter. And it's four pages at the end, and it really comes together that, holy crap, the whole 280 pages preceding this, which didn't discuss this particular scene at all, or were leading up to this scene, and this is really the most important piece of this. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how this is a story about stories, and it's within a bunch of stories in this nesting doll thing. And we have to ask, why is King telling this story now to us, the reader? Why did he come back to, in 2012, back to the Dark Tower series after having finished it up? And what, what are the views on it? And you and I discussed this earlier. We came up with, with two views on this. Yeah, the two views we came up with are the cynical view, and then there's the generous view. And we decided that the cynical view is that this is an opportunity for King to retcon Roland's feelings about the matricide, to retcon Roland's feelings about killing his mother. And that's all. As you and I have discussed in the past, especially in book four, but even leading up to book four, in, in book one, two, three, and four, a little bit less in book two, Roland is going on and on about this Susan Delgado and how she's the girl at the window and the, the, his heart has been broken over something that happened with her, some tragic thing in his past. And then we finally learn what that tragic story is in book four. And in book four, Roland kills his mother. But the time that Roland killed his mother happened long before the events of books one, two, and three. So if Roland had been as affected by the death of his mother that the end of book four seems to imply, I think Roland would have carried that around and had it closer to his sleeve than even how he felt about the loss of Susan Delgado. Right. Or at least be equal to that. And since we didn't have it, it felt like King hadn't been consistent here. He gave Roland this obsession with a lost love and a tragic love story and never mentioned his, his mother, just in, except that he had one. And then suddenly, he was responsible for her death, and it's the most horrible thing that ever happened to Roland in his whole life. And then King goes on to write, you know, books five, six, and seven. And it felt like we, sh like Roland should have been going on about the loss of his mother from book one, and he wasn't. So here, the cynical view is 
King's like, hmm, I got to explain away why Roland's not going, oh, I killed my mom every time he starts a conversation with a stranger. It's because his mother wrote him this letter mm-hmm. and she forgave him proactively. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to kill me. It's going to be terrible, but I forgive you. And I knew it was coming and I chose to allow it to happen because it needed to happen. You are absolved. And that forgiveness echoes his own father's forgiveness. He says, I hold nothing against you. She says, I hold nothing against you for this. And I think those two things together with the evidence of the letter in her handwriting, let's roll and move on to a point where the fact that he's not carrying on about his mother makes sense retroactively, hence the cynical retcon. But what would you say is the generous view? The more generous view is that we take this story at face value and that the level of guilt that Roland has for killing his mother has been offset by this letter. And and that's why it had to come up because within a couple of weeks of him killing his mother, he was forgiven. And so even though it was an immediate shock to his system, after reading the letter and being able to go back to that letter over and over again, those feelings had lessened. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to with Susan. I mean, Susan was taken from him like that. And he saw it happen through the glass and was never able to come to terms with it like he did with the death of his mother. You know, she didn't, Susan didn't leave a note for him. Susan, he didn't get to, as far as we know, get any sort of revenge on the people who did that to her um, in 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 a way that fulfilled him. Right. But he does from his mother, and so that's why it hasn't come up yet. So that's the more generous view, I think. Yeah, I agree. My personal take is that I I give it the generous view. I don't think that this is just King writing an entire book to nullify some you know critique of his writing. That's not what motivates him. That's not what that's not what inspires him to to reach back into this world and spend more time with these characters. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like that's why he would do this. No. And it also doesn't feel like a money grab, which is the really cynical view. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure King's uh, pretty well set. I don't think he needs money grabs at this point. No, especially on a series that isn't read by potentially a majority of his audience Mm -hmm. who reads everything. Now, the more interesting question, Jay, is why is Roland telling this story? And that's something that we've talked about a couple different times. And in our planning for this episode, we came up with what we're calling our grand unifying theory. Yes, it's pretty awesome. It's worthy of the title. If if we may be so bold to suggest this. So there's a number of stories here, right? There's the the, the wind through the keyhole story that, that takes place inside of the skin man story. And then there seems to be this addendum with the story about his mother and and her forgiveness of Roland. Right. And so we're trying to figure out, like, why is Roland telling this story? I mean, part of it is just to pass the storm while they're in the shelter uh, as the Stark Blast is coming. And certain things have reminded Roland of these stories. So the Stark Blast themselves reminds him of the Gwyn through the keyhole. And having Oi act in such a way is also reminded him of the Billy Bumblers and these stories sort of piece together. So that's part of the reason why he's telling it. But I think that there might be more to it. I think that there is a reason that these specific stories are being told, and more specifically, who these stories are being told to. Yes. So just as the wind through the keyhole, Roland tells it to young Bill, 
as a way of showing young Bill to be strong and to grow up and that, you know, it's hard being a boy sometimes, but you have to confront your fears and face them. I think that Roland in telling this story, which is a fairy tale story, which are generally told towards kids, I think that that story is really for Jake's benefit. And it's really to tell Jake, how do you become a man? How do you grow up from being a boy? And how do you take responsibility? And if you remember, when they first are taking shelter from the Stark Blast, that's a big theme, right? Jake has to go out and get Oi, and, and Roland says, hey, he needs to do this. This is something yeah, that he, he's it's respons his responsibility. It's his responsibility. And the win through the keyhole ends with Tim Stoutheart becoming a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't have his guns at first, but then he learns how to use a gun and grows up and becomes a man and becomes a great gunslinger. And so perhaps Roland is telling the story to Jake to encourage that in him. And he's not being explicit about it, but th it's a theory. Yeah. And it's also for Oi's benefit, assuming Oi is even listening, because he still <laughs> might be in the throes of Stark Blast fever. Sure. But there are many Billy Bumblers in this story. There are key component of the prediction of the Stark Blast, and they're also a, a point of wonder. They're, they are one of the almost magical creatures in the story. And uh, as far as Tim is concerned, they are a magical creature. They're just as rare and just as amazing to encounter as a fairy or a dragon. So from the per perspective of the story, I think it elevates bumblers beyond just being something akin to a dog or a raccoon yep. or some combination it's these are these are magical creatures of fairy tales and here is one with us he's part of our quartet so if always got half an ear there and he's not too busy spinning in circles because the stark blast is going on outside i i think that the uh, the wind through the keyhole story is for always benefit as well all right fair enough so then it got me thinking so who's the skin man story for i think the skin man story is for eddie's benefit Specifically, the Skin Man story is about how two gunslingers, Roland and Jamie, have to do their duty as a gunslinger and solve a problem and defeat their foes, in this case, the Skin Man. And I think mm -hmm. that that, having not read five through seven to know what comes next, but I'm guessing that this story is really for Eddie's benefit. You know, we've, we've already seen how Eddie and Roland work together and they're butting heads a lot. But I have a feeling that they're going to have to come together in some way. And so a lot of this is how do gunslingers do their work and how do we work together to overcome our problems? And I think that Roland is directing this story to Eddie. And it's a story that's going to appeal to Eddie. In fact, Eddie says at the end of this section, that story was boss, Roland, mm -hmm. um, meaning he likes it. And I'm sure it is a story that appeals to him. It's interesting. There's gunplay. Uh, characters get laid at the end. I mean, this is a story that seems right up Eddie's alley. Yeah. I think. One of the key things in the Skin Man story that I think is also for Eddie's benefit is that it's a good example of how gunslingers interact with the rest of the world. Mm. Because up to this point, except for maybe their time talking to the people at River Crossing and dealing with enemies in Ludd, and then an enemy in the form of a psychotic train, <laughs> they really haven't had a lot of interaction with people who would benefit from their services, if you will. Right. Because one of the analogies that King always makes in his forewords or afterwards or his introductions to these stories is he explains what a gunslinger is. And a gunslinger is like uh, something akin to a knight errant or a masterless samurai, somebody who roams the world and helps people when they can't help themselves. And this is an example of that. It's rather mundane in some ways that 
They just they are literally sent on a mission to help solve a problem that the local authorities can't handle. Yep. They need somebody more skilled, more you know, they need somebody more skilled, somebody better trained, somebody with better weapons to go there and see if they can handle it. And so they send a gunslinger, or in this case, two. So I think it's important for all of them, but especially Eddie, to see how are gunslingers supposed to act? Because if he's a gunslinger now, the next time he stumbles upon somebody who needs a hand, he can't just be like, ah, I'm from New York. I'm walking here and, and you know, and and uh, I'm too busy chasing the tower to stop and help you. He, th- This is a lesson he needs to learn. And, and Roland probably likes the idea of setting Jamie up as that person, because unlike Laughing Boy and Thunderfoot, Thudfoot, Thudfoot, uh, you know, <laughs> Jamie is quiet, but he's observant. And he knows what's mm-hmm. happening and he listens to Roland and Roland might think, hey, Eddie, this is the way you should be acting. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to me, do what I want you to do and be quiet. <laughs> Stop with your right. smart ass remarks. So where our grand unifying theory comes together, though, Jay, is I think in this third part. Right. And when we realize that there's a serenity story and how does that fit in? Because we've just said this is the most important part of the book. I think mm-hmm. you and I have just agreed on that. So yes, why are absolutely. we telling this story? And I don't think it's for Jake's benefit, and I don't think it's for Eddie's benefit, and I don't think it's for Oi's benefit. I think it's for Susanna's benefit. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we know that Eddie and Jake do not, but that Roland suspects, if not outright knows, is that Susanna's pregnant. Yes. Susanna's about to be a mother. And I would think that Susanna's probably scared to death of being a mother, if not excited but also scared because she doesn't know she's in this strange world there's not doctors around you know what what what's she doing and i think that maybe the serenity story is to ease some of susanna's concerns that you might be afraid of what's going to happen with your child or what your child's going to think of you but there's always going to be a forgiveness between a mother and her child and that is what the story of Gabrielle is, that there's love there, that there's forgiveness there, and that there's a bond between a mother and the child that can never be broken. And even strong enough to overcome what we've seen here is like one of the most awful uh, <laughs> circumstances. Right. And so it, and so Roland continues to love his mother, and his mother continued to love him until the very last moment of her life, even though a chunk of time, we don't know exactly how much time before that, she knew that this was going to happen or something very close to it. So their love for each other was able to see them through that. And I think just in general, just to know that somebody even like Roland, Roland who doesn't seem to have these more traditional familial connections to people, um, like his relationship with his father is very strained at best. And the other people in Gilead are, I think they all keep a distance from the gunslinger circles, and there's a very hierarchical society there. Even Court, who you know Roland loves as a teacher, but also fears, and you know, like there, it's everything's very jumbled and complex in the interpersonal relationships. But I think the one person in the world that Roland loved and knew loved him back his whole life was his mother. Yes. And that's natural and I I would hope pretty typical for people, but for Susanna to know that even somebody like Roland can find a way to love and be loved by his mother is I, I would say something comforting for her. Because yeah. like you said, 
she's in this foreign world she's learning how to shoot guns she's living basically she's basically like camping every day you know <laughs> right. like like she doesn't have any safe stable shelter or nothing it's uh you know how how is she going to do deal with what's coming next is probably running through her head and to emphasize that point that this story is for Susanna it's Susanna and Roland who share a moment at the end of the book yeah Eddie's asleep Jake's asleep always asleep it's Susanna and Roland looking out the window talking about Ka again because mm-hmm. Susanna says oh we we're lucky and Roland reminds her luck's just another word for Ka yeah and they just sort of you know what were the last words that you traced over and over until the letter fell apart and he says she wrote i forgive you everything can you forgive me and roland of course says yes and it's this moment that susanna and roland share that you know we we often talk about how susanna seems left out in a lot of ways in these books and i think mm-hmm. king here is showing us that susanna is very important and that this really is for her so that's our grand unifying theory come come at us at us on twitter if you uh disagree with us or if you think that we've we've uncovered something here or send us an email or an email one thing that that i wanted to add to that is the moment when roland and susanna have this this like kind of just one-on-one moment this was a gut punch for me and it made me see a parallel to the end of book four the end of book four we have this long, very tragic story about the death of Susan Delgado and the destruction of Roland's, you know, hopes and dreams for a romantic relationship and a, a life with love in it. And that didn't really hit me. But when each of his commates react to him and try to soothe him and comfort him, that made me cry. And so it was like seeing it through the prism of their eyes that gave me the this emotional connection to Roland's tragedy. I don't really know why. Uh, maybe this is deliberate on King's part, but I feel like hearing the words directly from Roland didn't really touch me in the way that hearing the consolation of his closest friends did. And here again, this incredibly tragic story about Roland and his mother and this letter that is very emotionally powerful didn't really hit me. But when Susanna cried a single tear, I did too. And I don't have an explanation for that, but maybe it's something about my connection to Susanna and Eddie and Jake is maybe my connection to them is much more powerful or much more direct than it is to Roland. And maybe that's because Roland isn't fully accessible in certain ways, but they are. I don't know. Yeah. It was very good. And King's Afterward writes that last passage in the high speech, the can you forgive me? And then mm-hmm. I forgive you everything and can you forgive me? And then King says the two most beautiful words in any language are I forgive. Yes. Very, very nice. So on that somewhat depressing note, even though we truly loved that section. Um, It's time for fun stuff. Let's lighten things up a little bit here, Jay. Indeed. So the most exciting thing for me is Jamie got laid. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome, right? Like they come back heroes. Hey, we're all going to party tonight. And Rodney Dangerfield comes out and says, we're all going to get laid. And certainly enough, Jamie does. So congratulations to Jamie DeCurry. Yeah. Even Everlyn's like, 
Yeah, hold on with the getting laid for a minute. I got something to tell you. <laughs> and, <laughs> she and of knows course, Jamie blushes and, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things I, I liked about this section was um, a great line. And I think that this is advice that anybody can benefit from. When one is amazed and heartsick, it is usually best to say nothing, for in that state, any word will be the wrong word. Another example of King's great writing. Yes, yes. So staying with goofy fun stuff for me, what's been interesting about this book is as Roland moves from story to story, there's repetition between the end of one section, the beginning of the next, and vice versa. And the Skin Man section ends with... um, that night there were lights and music and dancing, many good things to eat, and plenty of liquor to wash it down with. And Eddie interjects as we get into the Storm's Over section, booze, Eddie said, and heaved a serial comic sigh. I remember it well. And then, you know, Roland continues, he nods, there were women too, and that night's silent Jamie left his virginity behind him, continuing what had been. And so you realize that there's a decent chance that Eddie's been interjecting throughout this story and that yep. we just haven't seen it. And Roland just sort of nods and keeps going on like, you're ruining my story, dude. Take a hint. Silent Jamie. He was silent. Mm. That's how you should be, Eddie. And when you said how uh, it was like the ending of one section would kind of bleed into the beginning of the next one, it made me think of how Archer episodes are structured. Because <laughs> like one scene will just... the. The next line of the next scene will make sense to the previous scene, but they don't really have anything to do with each other. Yep. There's just a level of brilliance to that writing. That show always amazes me. If you want another example of that, just to call out, read Alan Moore's Watchmen. He does a lot of the same thing where words from mm-hmm. one scene carry over into another in a way that's just brilliant. So Awesome. I'll have to look for that next time I read it. Yeah. Shout out to Watchmen because it needs, it, it needs more uh, acclaim that... Yeah, the that, most popular graphic novel of all time, or one of them. One of the dinky sheriff's deputies in town calls Roland a gun bunny. Like, what the heck is that? Is that the sheriff that got eaten by the snake? Because I think it was good. I mean, maybe that's why he got. He was the one who was killed because he called Roland a gun bunny. Don't disrespect. Like, is that like a standard derogatory way of referring to a gunslinger? Like, oh, I'm so jealous of you and your masterful skills with guns that i don't have uh so i'm reminded of pan oswald's thing about the the prequels i, I don't need to understand why my cool stuff's cool i just want it to exist and, and mm-hmm. you know and do we really need to know how the skin man was formed i mean king sort of hints at it that there was a light a potential portal that the old people might have uncovered in the mines and that's what turned him into the skin man luckily he leaves it at that but there's just enough of a nugget there that you know it's possible that this miner had gone into another world and that's what caused him to become a skin man whether that was a a thinny or a portal or some other sort of magic it's it's sort of hinted at but just sort of an interesting thing that luckily we didn't dwell too much on yeah yeah, maybe it wasn't a watch. Maybe it was a fitness tracker made by North Central Positronics, and there was a button on there that says, turn into skin man. Yeah. To be fair, turning into any sort of animal seems sort of cool. Yeah. I mean, like... He's a wolf, he's a snake, and he like instantly... It's not like a slow transformation. Like, they're like, two seconds, he's a total snake, and his jaw's down, and he's eating a guy. Like, whoa. Yep. That escalated quickly. <laughs> So one of the other lines that I really liked in the this section was, in the end, the wind takes everything, doesn't it? If the sweetness of our lives did not depart, 
there would be no sweetness at all. Makes you reflect on mortality, doesn't it? Yep. Time is a face on the water. Wind through the keyhole, and thus are the days of our lives. And finally, um, I just love Roland's confidence as a gunslinger, as he's telling the story about how, you know, he's got the, the gun with the silver bullet. He says, I never doubted I could make the shot. It's what such as I was made for. Like, gunslinger's got to do what a gunslinger's got to do. Yeah, gunslinger's got a gun. <laughs> I'm not going to miss that shot, even though there's a crazy snake that just transformed in front of me and has eaten two guys. I'm going to make the shot. And sure enough, Blows the human brains right out of the snake man thingy. Like, that was automatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah! Like, I'm going to take off my sunglasses and shoot this dude. All right, so I know we've covered a lot so far, Jay, but we're going to quickly do a book wrap-up. Eddie said that this story was boss, and I have to agree, uh, out of the now five books that we have read and finished, this is my favorite Dark Tower book so far. Okay. I agree. It's, it's a very good one. Um, I would rank it as... My third favorite in order of book one, book two, and then this book, Wind Through the Keyhole, and then book three, then book four. It, at least it broke your streak of them diminishing publication returns. Order. Yeah, publication order. So this book continues to get good rankings on Goodreads and Library Thing, both above four stars out of five, uh, very similar to some of the other books. Um, we're able to, now that we're getting into more recent books, get a few more reviews. So Booklist did a starred review of this book and said that King is a peer of such fantasy adventure classics as, dare one say it, The Hobbit. This is King at his most beguiling and most literarily distinguished. High praise uh, linking to The Hobbit there, Jay. Yeah. And I'm impressed that you were able to say literarily. <laughs> I know. I'm not exactly well, sure. Well, I said it too. <laughs> Pat on the back. So Booklist is a very positive review. Publishers Weekly also gave it a starred review saying, Tim's adventure is pitch perfect. I agree. And that even those who aren't familiar with the series will find the conclusion both satisfying and moving. I was both satisfied and moved, Jay. Do you think that's correct, though, that if you just gave somebody wind through the keyhole and said, read this, that they wouldn't be mystified by the, the Dark Tower element? I think that, as we said in our first episode on this book, King did a good enough job of summarizing what you need to know in the three pages of his foreword that that would be enough to go from. I do think that the stories are self-contained enough and don't rely on the mythos of the Dark Tower, that it's really about the self-contained stories and the relationship between Roland and his mother that you can get enough out of it without being part of the series. Fair enough. Do you disagree? I think that's spot on. I, I'm just picturing somebody, you know, I don't know, randomly finding this book somewhere, like someone forgot it on the plane. Like, oh, I don't know anything about this. Let me read it. Would they just put it back down after reading the first part, like the Stark Blast? Like, who is this guy and why is he telling the story and all that? If they made it as far as Skin Man Part 1, I think they're home free once they get into one of the nested stories. But the, the outermost layer of the Russian doll I think is too dark tower centric and it might be a barrier. Yeah, again, I think King probably set it up well enough. It's interesting that when you look at the book cover, it's not the dark tower, the wind through the keyhole. It's Stephen mm-hmm. King, the wind through the keyhole, and then at the bottom of the of the book, a dark tower novel. 
Um, yep. It was not marketed as a Dark Tower novel, so I do think that they were trying to appeal to people who might not have read the rest of the series, and I think that that's okay. All right, uh, Kirkus said that King remains a master of fantastic stories spun from a very fertile imagination that seek to do nothing more or less than entertain. It even ends with a redemptive moral, though King mainly concerns himself with spinning a yarn. Um, so not quite as positive, but uh, they do like the story as a story in itself. I think, as you and I have discussed in this podcast, uh, we think it's more than just him telling a story. I think that there's purpose in King telling this story specifically, especially in relation to the whole Dark Tower. Like, Roland's telling the stories for a reason. Yeah. One thing that might be interesting to explore, once we've finished book seven, kind of come back to this and, and see how much does this enhance the overall story? You know, does, does the information and the detail that we learn here in this book make five, six, and seven or the overall story better? Or does it not change? I think that'd be an interesting question to to ask ourselves. Yep. Uh, the Guardian in the UK had set up their interview by talking about how massive some of King's books are and says, when the author reins himself in and keeps it short, he's even better. I'd say that's true. I, I think some of his short stories are some of his best work. Yeah. I mean, I really love The Dark Tower and it represents thousands and thousands of pages of, of material. And that's part of what makes it great. But if you just want to read like Dolan's Cadillac and just enjoy the hell out of that for about an hour, that's a great story. Yeah. And yeah. you don't need to know anything else. And I, well, I think that that's what I was trying to say about this book is I think it works on a couple levels. I mean, you can read this straight through and it's just a good tale. Like yep. we, we talked about that with the wind through the keyhole section. Like that's just a great fairy tale. As we saw in this last section, though, it ends as a great tale. You know, you know, we get the skin man resolution, we get the thing with the mother, but I think that there's layers upon that, that for those of us who are connected to Roland's story and to the Dark Tower mythos as a whole, I, I do think that there's layers on top of that, So, um, which is tough to do, and he did a good job there. Because like you said, sometimes short stories are just good for being short stories. Uh, finally, the Washington Post says the structure of the book, a tale within a tale within a larger ongoing tale, underscores another of its central points, the consolation to be found in stories. At his characteristic best, King creates the kind of fully imagined fictional landscapes that a reader can inhabit for days at a stretch. In The Wind Through the Keyhole, he has done this once again. I love that point they make about the consolation to be found in stories. That is a sentiment that is expressed in the book. And it's also something that I think anybody who reads for pleasure and embraces books like The Dark Tower can completely relate to. I mean, embracing a book series of this size is something only somebody who does take consolation in stories, who or perhaps seeks out stories for consolation. There's something comforting about reading a fairy tale or reading a fantasy story. I read that idea of consolation to be found in stories, and I see myself in it, yeah. is my point. Yep. Nope. I think it is a good point, and I would agree with you altogether. Let's hope that King keeps it up as we go into the next books of the Dark Tower series, because that ends our discussion of book 4.5, The Wind Through the Keyhole. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it as much as Jay and I have. So that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. 
Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this book. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com, Two Guys Dark Tower. We've also recently set up a Facebook group that you can be a part of. And our Twitter handle is at Two Guys Dark Tower. If you like the show, please write a review. Next episode, join us as we start book five of The Dark Tower, Wolves of the Kala. We'll be reading the prologue and part one, chapters one through three. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening.